Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode is sponsored by Witham. Witham is a forward-thinking, technology-driven advisory and accounting firm committed to helping companies be more profitable, efficient, and productive in today's complex business environment. Witham's dedicated Femtech team is proud to partner with members of the Femtech community. Get to know their team at witham.com backslash femtech. Today's episode, we interview Blythe Caro, the CEO and co-founder of Everin Technologies. Everin is advancing the treatment of post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, through their wearable neurostimulation products. Their flagship device is called the Phoenix, The Phoenix is a discreet, wearable earbud that provides personalized doses of therapy to treat PTSD. The device is governed by proprietary algorithms and will be used to reduce the symptoms of PTSD and enhance recovery from traumatic events by delivering neurostimulation that responds to the user's own body signals. In this episode, we learn all about the biology of trauma in the body and why stimulation in the ear can reduce symptoms such as anxiety, depression, startled response, and nightmares. Admittedly, I get super personal in this episode. I, like many, many people, am a survivor of trauma and live with complex PTSD. So this episode is near and dear to my heart. Enjoy. Hey, Blythe. Welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having us. Or I guess just me. I'm so used to saying us forever in. <laughs> well, you know what? That's a great founder move. I definitely had to practice that instead of, you know, for my first startup, it was my idea. And, but I had to let go of that and be like, it's our team because it's, it's not just you at the end of the day. Yeah. I, I literally just got coached on that. I was responding to investors and I was kind of saying, I, I, and my uh-huh. executive chairman went back and corrected. We, we, we all. Yep. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I tell fa- even uh, solo founders, they should do that though. <laughs> Make yeah. you look bigger. Right. Um, how did we originally get connected? I can't, oh my gosh. I think I, what happened was I came across your company and I reached out cold because I yeah, think through you're- maybe LinkedIn and also the website. Yeah, I did. I did. I went on your homepage and it was like, contact us. And I was like, hi, my name's Brittany. I think what you're doing is really important. And oh, that's right. That's right. I love thinking back to how I connected with people. It's always some different kind of story. Um, well, yeah, and I personally get every contact form that comes through our website that <laughs> might change in the future, but I love when I get, I'm like, Ooh, I got another message for the website. So yep. it's always yep. great to see who's connecting with us. <laughs> totally. Um, well, before we get into the amazing product that you're working on and how important it is, um, and it, this, I'm anticipating this may even get kind of intense, you know, and I'll let her, you know, I've told our viewers in the intro, like this might be a heavy podcast, but it's so important. Um, but before we get into it, 
I want to learn about you. Our listeners want to learn about you. Where are you from? What did you study? You know, have you ever been an entrepreneur before? And and how did you end up here being the CEO of Evren? Yeah, so, um, well, I grew up in the Southeast. Uh, my family mostly lives in, or lived in Gainesville, Florida. So that's where I went to middle school and high school. And it wasn't really a big medical device area, which was my interest. I did biomedical engineering undergrad at Hopkins. And so I never really thought I could come back to Gainesville to pursue medical device. So I've lived a lot of different places around the U.S. I ultimately got an MBA from Darden at UVA. And um, I've just done about 20 years of medical device work with both small and large companies and strategy consulting in the space and had been working in LA for Boston Scientific, really did not enjoy being that far from home. Mm -hmm. So I came home and thought, well, I'll just consult until I find a job in the Southeast. And that's when I was introduced actually through my tennis ladies to the woman who founded the innovation hub here at UF, Jane Muir, she's awesome. And she was like, you can't move back out of Gainesville. You have to be an entrepreneur. I'm connecting you to everyone. (laughs) She started introducing me to all these entrepreneurs in the area. She got the Office of Technology Licensing to start sending me things they thought I might be interested in. And through that, I connected with Weaver Gaines, who's my executive chairman. Mm -hmm. And we actually started out that he was the CEO and I was the COO. And the plan was always to transition after I got comfortable with the role, which we've now done. And it's been great. So it's sort of like I have training wheels, which is awesome. It makes me very comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, um... How did you decide that, you know, PTSD was the thing you wanted to work on? Well, you know, I think uh, my family has a long military tradition and I wasn't personally in the military. My father was, my brother attended VMI and um, I've just always had a lot of friends in the military and known people who have struggled with this. Mm -hmm. And Weaver also is a veteran. Um, His father probably had PTSD And so, you know, we just all have a lot of personal connections to that. Mm -hmm. And when I discovered, so what happened was the Office of Technology Licensing sent me some, uh, a patent, basically, from some inventors at UF. And we were talking to them about helping them negotiate a license with a different company. When I found out that they actually had the first research with this type of technology on a PTSD population. And I got really excited about it because I know that there aren't a lot of good solutions out there. And so I basically had to work on them for a year to get them agree for me to, to use it, to try and treat people with PTSD before they agree, before they allowed me to do it. And, um, I still struggle with them sometimes to try and get them on board because they, they worry about um, conflict of interest with their own research at the VA uh-huh. and the UF. Yeah. So we have to make sure we stay separate, mm-hmm. um, but they're great guys. All right. So you come across this technology that you have the ability to potentially license. It's in an area of PTSD, which you're like, I know this is a big issue. Tell us about what is Everin Technologies and when did it actually start? Yeah. So I think I met the guys even back in 2017, We didn't officially start the company until the end of 2018. Mm And the the technology itself is neuromodulation, which is what I had done at Boston Scientific most recently. So it's it's something you wear. It's not an implant. Mm -hmm. So we call it transcutaneous because it goes through the skin. And we're targeting the vagal nerve. So it's transcutaneous vagal nerve stimulation. 
And the vagus nerve is important because it helps balance. Now, let me see if I can do this in a way that's easy to understand. It's very complex. <laughs> um, it balances your autonomic nervous system. So if you have a trauma, your body goes into fight or flight mode. Most people have heard of that. And that's your sympathetic response. Your heart rate goes up. You get really alert. We call it hypervigilance. And people with PTSD never fall back into the parasympathetic response of rest and recuperate. Yeah, your so, body always thinks you're in danger constantly. Yes, yeah. exactly. And that sort of filters into all the symptoms for the most part. Mm -hmm. So what stimulating the vagus nerve does is it actually boosts the parasympathetic response so you can get back to rest and recuperate. Mm, it's like telling your body like, no, 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 you're good. You're good. Come back over here. You're yeah. safe. Yeah. All right. So you said neurostimulation. I love to break down these terms because okay. sometimes I think I know what they are, but uh, our listeners may not. So what do you mean by neurostimulation? Yeah, that's actually an excellent question. So neuro is nerve. So we are targeting a nerve The technically the type of stimulation we're doing would be a peripheral nerve. So that's not in your you know, spinal cord or in your brain, it's a nerve that goes somewhere else in your body, Got but it. the vagus nerve. So you have 10 cranial nerves that come out of your cranium. It is the largest, the one that goes all over your body. It's actually called vagus because vagus V A G U S in Latin means wandering. And, what? It and touches, it's all one nerve. It's all one nerve. It goes what? all over. So it doesn't necessarily, so the area that we're targeting in the ear, so we have an earbud design, which is another oh. really cool thing about what we have. It targets the auricular branch. Auricular is just another Latin word meaning ear. Okay. So that's part of the vagus nerve. What's cool about the auricular branch, besides the fact that it lets us do our earbud design and make it just look like any other wearable, is that those fibers that we hit go straight into the centers of the brain that we're trying to deal with. We're not getting any off target. It's going to the gut or anything else like that. We're going okay. right into the brain centers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. So neurostimulation. And what are you stimulating it with again? Are you do, Are you okay. zapping my ear? Are you like, what's <laughs> happening? I, I think I keep taking you off on tangents. Nope, no, um, no, no, no. I love the tangents. <laughs> my job as a host. <laughs> <laughs> so the it is electrical stim so what we do is every time you wear it you start turning it up until you feel it that's it okay. it's just a light tingle we call it paresthesia and that's just as a light tingly sensation okay. um some people compare it to a tins unit but it's much much softer than that like do not try and stop it uh, strap a tins unit to your ear after hearing this podcast uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I won't do it. Won't do it. I won't put anything. They're in there. those muscle stimulator, the electrical muscle oh, stimulators like for like back pain and stuff. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. Um, but it's the same kind of idea, which is you have electrical stimulation on the surface of the skin. It's just mm -hmm. done very differently. All right. So a little bit of electrical stimulation feels tingly. It's in your ear. Does it matter which ear? No. Although um, that is a good question, again, because there have been some people that did in the past, or I guess there is a company that does cervical placement, cervical meaning at the neck area. Oh, I, I was thinking cervix. I was right. like, I know what? everybody, Girl, I think that's say cervical wellness. and people are like, Wait. <laughs> no, that, they mean like the cervical vertebrae. God, so, okay, okay. Um, so you can target the vagus nerve in the neck. You can get some off-target effects because it takes more energy because the, the nerve is deeper, okay. very close to the surface in the ear. 
And you end up innervating, which means activating areas other than what you're trying to get. So you can get vo voice hoarseness and other things. The implanted uh -huh. devices are in the neck and they have to deal with that. We don't, we don't have the side effects that cervical has. Okay. Um, so it's in the ear and does your wearable only fit on the one ear over the other or oh, right. You were asking me left or right. It's like, I'm not even <laughs> listening to your questions. So, so in the neck, if you do it on the right side, you can innervate things that could cause problems. So it, traditionally they only did vagal nerve stimulation on the left because of the cervical placement. Okay. So most testing is still only done in the left ear because of that, but it literally doesn't matter which ear you go in. Okay. So that's where I was going with it. And I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> and so again, I just want to like, cause I mean, the body is just mind blowing, but the vagus nerve essentially is in both goes by both of your ears, but it's all the one nerve it's all attached and it's in your well, neck. There are branches of it. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. So it goes like kind of, one long noodle. Right. <laughs> like, I like oh, that imagery. I like that. <laughs> it's a little bit different. But it's not okay. All right. All right. There's like branches. All right. Yeah. So um the vagus nerve, does it do anything besides regulate your sympathetic, parasympathetic systems? Yeah, I mean, so I think it depends on who, which scientists you talk to and the mm -hmm. connections. I was literally just talking to a doctor who kept talking about norepinephrine, which is the drug that your body releases in stressful situations. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times when they talk about activating the vagus nerve, it will adjust norepinephrine levels in your body. And if you want to get into the science behind norepinephrine, I'm the wrong person, but <laughs> it affects a lot of other systems. So we have uh -huh. seen that vagal nerve stimulation can be used in a lot of disease states. So a lot of the things you consider associated with PTSD, stress, anxiety, uh, depression, insomnia, our patients are definitely reporting. They feel changes in, um, sleep mm -hmm. and, um, you, people are using it to deal with anti-inflammatory issues, mm -hmm. IBS. Mm -hmm. um, you can also, there's another mechanism of action wherein it helps you lay stronger neural pathways, which is scientific speak for, we can help you learn something better, faster, stronger. So if you, pair it, if you pair it with stroke rehabilitation, people will rehabilitate faster, things like that. Wow. Okay. Okay. This is awesome. This is super, super <laughs> interesting. How long ago did we discover this vagus nerve? Do you know? I actually have no idea. My, my guess would be, you know, back in the ages of creepy cadaver dissections <laughs> that were illegal. Um, I'm not sure they quite understood it. And I think we're still in the infancy really oh, yeah. today oh, of yeah. fully understanding the effects of the vagus nerve. It's you know, when neuromodulation came around as an industry a couple of decades ago, they were not thinking about the vagus nerve that much. No, no. I and mean, considering our system is so new to even talking about trauma in the body, you yeah. know, is it's not surprising that even if they discovered it, that's not the date of them knowing that PTSD and trauma is regulated by that nerve, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whew. Okay. I've had a lot of questions, but I have many more. Um, it's like my tagline in my life. Is like, I have questions. Um, so my next set of questions are about, let's talk about trauma 
and let's talk about how it is shown in the body. And I would love for you to tell us like in general, but then also give us some like statistics about how women in particular, you know, what kind of traumas are affecting them. And maybe if they show it differently in terms of the symptoms of PTSD, does everyone get PTSD? Like, let's get into like that part of it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and just what to back PTSD up. what stand for? We should probably define that first. Yeah, right. So PTSD, for those of you who are uh, unaware, is post-traumatic stress disorder. And in fact, a lot of people now like to refer to it only as PTS, not that it's Ooh. a disorder at all. It's just post-traumatic stress. Um, but we stick with PTSD because that's what most people have heard. Yeah. And um, it is caused by a traumatic event or a series of traumatic events. That's sort of the one major thing that sets it apart from other disorders. Mm -hmm. And it can lead to a bunch of different symptoms and everybody has their own unique mix. So some of those symptoms are, as I mentioned before, depression, anxiety, poor sleep, um, hypervigilance that always being on the lookout um, you can have bad social interactions, you become withdrawn, you stay at home because you're trying to avoid triggering places or events. Mm -hmm. um, you just, you can be blaming yourself or others for the situation. Mm -hmm. And it also has really high comorbidities with substance abuse yep. and suicide, um, homelessness, things like that. Yeah. Um, it, and one of the things recently that I was looking at, they said one of the things that you typically see that's different for men and women when it comes to this is some of the more um, self-harming behaviors that you see in the PTSD population. For men, it's very outward. It's drug abuse, it's substance abuse, it's mm -hmm. more focused on self-hurting. Mm -hmm. And for the women, it's more um, being angry with themselves and their own self view and how they connect with others mm -hmm. because they internalize a lot of stuff a lot differently. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, um, I mean, if it's not obvious, I've probably said it on other episodes, but you know, I'm a survivor of trauma. I 110% have PTSD. Uh, it's something I've worked on, uh, about four years ago, I even had to go inpatient for a month and to get treatment for it. Cause it was, it was out of control. Honestly, I was, you know, suicidal ideation. And I knew like, I didn't actually want to die, but my brain was just like, so tired of dealing with like the memories and the lack of sleep and the anxiety and, you know, people always being like, girl, why is your startle response like crazy? You know, like you can't sneak up on me and stuff. And, you know, it, I, there was a point before that inpatient treatment experience where I was just like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like the stuff I'm upset about is childhood stuff. And like, here I am like in a PhD program, I'm 24, like living life, you know? And, uh, and at that point I, I was sober, you know, I had, I was abusing drugs and alcohol in college. And at that point I was even sober and suicidal. And so it was just like really strange to me. And I can remember calling up a friend and I said, I wish there was like rehab, like drug rehab, but for PTSD. And she was like, that exists. And I was like, yeah. what? What? It does? Like where and how? And so I went into this 30 day program where they, you know, taught me, uh, which I freaking loved, which they taught me about the biology of trauma and how it was in my body and what that did for me 
um, and kind of why I bring it up right now is that I was like, why am I so broken? Like, why am I so weird? Why am I so strange? Like, why can't I just get over this? And they taught me about the vagus nerve and fight or flight and freeze. I'm a freezer personally. <laughs> I just kind of dissociate, you know? And, uh, and so the blaming yourself, I can, I totally relate to that. What are like the statistics of PTSD in the U.S. and um, it, do women get it more? Yeah, and so I will have to caveat this with every study has different numbers, right? But um, typically, we see about twenty um, percent of returning vets have it. So that's your male population for the most part. Men get it in general in the U.S. at a rate of about four percent. Women have it at a rate that is double that. So one in nine women will have it at some point in their lives. One in nine women. Wow. And speaking of veterans, um, I did have somebody on the show that mentioned like, uh, although more men are in the service and, you know, going to war and such, uh, the, but the, the women that go are almost all going to have trauma you know? Yeah. I read a study and I could be quoting this wrong. So I will caveat this, but I could have sworn they said that the PTSD rate for women was like over 90%. Yeah. Yeah. Like guaranteed if you're a woman in combat, like you're going to have it. That's not even just combat. I think that's a misconception. Actually. It's been interesting to look into that. It seems that you actually get higher rates of PTSD in the non-combat roles. And I have a theory around it, which could be wrong. Oh, I love theories. Theory, (laughs) all not proven, but tell us. But it seems that the types of traumas that you have less control over seem to cause PTSD at higher rates. So they have done studies that show things like sexual assault will create PTSD at a much higher rate than, say, an active combat situation. And Where I think you're like holding a gun and it's like, and you feel like back. maybe you could do something about yeah. it. Right. Yeah. And so I think if you're at a base and you're passively being bombed and there's this mm-hmm. constant threat that you have to be hypervigilant about, but you can't protect yourself, yeah. that can have more of an impact on you than mm-hmm. if you felt like you had control of the situation. So I think that level of feeling like you have control mm-hmm. is very central to your ability to develop PTSD. I think it's central and correct me if I'm wrong, if you, you're different to people that have PTSD and how they view their life is their ability to control. And their Oh control girl, I've been working on my control issues for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> like perfectionist Brit has had a lot of therapy sessions <laughs> because exactly, you know, for my trauma was childhood and it, it was, you know, sexual abuse, physical abuse, but I feel like the, there is also this piece that was because I was a child and like, I didn't felt like I had no control because it was like, well, I live here (laughs) and like, I'm a kid, you know? And so there was that sense of lack of control. Yeah. And I I think um, we can get into a conversation around complex PTSD. It's not well understood. We don't at Everin focus on it as a separate condition at Uh all. Uh Um, but I think there's a lot of evidence around childhood traumas being more related to complex PTSD, which has find the definition or like, what's the, I'm going to be really bad at this, but basically there's a whole other set of symptoms that go along with it, that it can be shared, um, to a certain extent with, uh, bipolar, you're more, uh, you have more difficulty making personal relationships Mm -hmm. and the self blame. Mm -hmm. and, And that's all kind of part of the complex PTSD. Yeah. Um, I used to think that complex PTSD was because you had multiple traumas. That's not it at all. Oh, 
Yeah, um, but what but I hear- even in our own diagnostic, uh, we call it the CAPS-5, the Clinician Administered PTSD Scale, the one they yeah. use in the United States, it does not designate complex to regular, or I wouldn't call it regular, complex yeah, or yeah. PTSD. It yeah. just doesn't, it doesn't separate the two at all. Got it. Got it. Whew, this is intense. This is going really well though. This is, is so important. It's so important. So if one in nine women are, you know, experiencing PTSD, I, I heard you said like, um, at some point in their life, you know, maybe this is my PTSD brain, but like, I feel like this is something I'm going to have for forever. And maybe that's because I have the complex like childhood version, but are there people who just like have PTSD for like a year? And then they're like, they don't have it? Well, I think that yes would be the answer to some people, right? Uh Um, But I I think, you know, they've now shown that you don't necessarily have to immediately develop PTSD. It can pop up later. Mm -hmm. You -hmm. could think you were okay for a while and then it can be re-triggered. You could have it under control and then something goes out of whack in your life. And so it goes up, you know, I was just describing it uh, earlier today about it being like an allergic reaction, you know, your histamine level, it can get up to a point where everything is setting off your allergies um, and you take an antihistamine to try and drop that level so that things aren't triggering you all the time. And so I think, you know, your sleep goes out of whack or other things happen, then you start to express more symptoms Your severity maybe gets worse. You can make it better for a while. So I think some people feel like I had it and I took care of it. And now that's part of my past. But I think most people think that they either have it or they had it and it's now under control and please don't make me upset this balance. Mm-hmm. Are current treatments like doing it for people and or are they not? And that's why we need your vagus nerve stimulator. Yeah, so, you know, and... People will say different things about this, but the two approved treatments for PTSD in the United States are exposure therapy, which can include all forms of cognitive behavioral therapy and talk therapies. And there are one or two therapies that are not considered exposure therapy, but let's just kind of lump it all together. Exposure therapy, you have to relive the trauma or talk about the trauma in some way. Mm -hmm. And and that can be effective for um, maybe two thirds of people if they can do it and complete it. Mm-hmm. One of the problems you see with therapy is there's a really high dropout rate. That it's very uncomfortable to have to relive yeah. those traumas and people don't want to do it. And I don't blame them. Mm-hmm. I personally am claustrophobic. The way you would cure my claustrophobia would be to lock me in a box and prove that I'm safe. And I just don't really buy into that. So yeah. I can understand why some yeah. PTSD patients also don't like that idea. Yeah. Um, so you see high dropout rates. I will say that women tend to do better with cognitive behavioral therapy. And I think that's because they're a little bit more willing to delve into those things than Mm -hmm. men are. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, me having assumptions. So that's, I'm not a clinician. Um, And then there are SSRIs. So those are antidepressants. They're um, serotonin receptor, you know. And so that's like your Prozac, anything like that. Um, Those are effective in about two thirds of the population at reducing symptoms. Okay. Yeah. In one third, can they get you to a rem- what they call a remission level? So you're at least testing mm-hmm. under a certain level on the CAPS five scale. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but if you talk to my patient advisory board, most of that board has quit taking the drugs because the side effects they were experiencing were worse than any help they were getting from the drugs. Uh So, so basically I talked to a lot of people who have tried everything they feel like, and they have come up with some balance in their lives that involves meditation, exercise, um, trying to think good thoughts before going to bed, you know, all sorts of different things as a way for them to self-help. Yeah. Um, but they don't actually feel like they've, they've cured it in any way. Shape yeah. Shape. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I'm like resonating with all of it because, uh, you know, I I'm on, I'm on meds, but it's mostly just to get me to a point where I can like do work on it. Right. Like yeah. if I get sad and I cry, I can cry for like 10 minutes. And then I'm like, mm, okay, I had a good cry. But like before I was on meds, it was like my vagus nerve, I guess. Right. And my whole body was like, oh no, we're crying. And it was like this whole hour of sobbing. And it was like, this is out of control. Like I'm not processing anything anymore. I just like am uncontrollably crying. So for me, the meds were a way to like keep like bumpers, you know, like little bumpers on the lane, you know, keep, keep me there. Um, and then and if that works for you, that's great. There's certainly a percentage of the population that that works for. Yeah. Um, sometimes that works for them for the very long run. Sometimes it's to restore to a certain point so that you can work on it and then you can go back off mm-hmm. the drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, everybody's got their own thing and I'm not saying you shouldn't try drugs if you have PTSD yeah. and I'm not yeah. saying you shouldn't yeah. try exposure therapy. Yeah. There are things that work for people and there is something called, uh, I always get the acronym wrong, EMDR, EDRM, yep. Yep. EMDR. Yep. It's, it's this thing where you do rapid eye movement as you do therapy and it's supposed to make it more effective. People have seen really good results with that. If you can find an EMDR place, if you're willing to do the therapy with the EMDR. Um, So that seems to boost the results of therapy to a certain extent. What's great about our earbud is if you're uncomfortable with therapy, if you have been having side effects from the drugs, mm-hmm. uh, our device is a very easy device to use and it has no known significant adverse side effects. Mm-hmm. So even if you're not sure it's going to work for you, you can try it without worrying about what it could be causing, how it might throw off your current balance you're maintaining for PTSD. You can kind of maintain your lifestyle and see if this works for you. Yeah. Would people put it on when they're feeling symptoms or they like do it every morning or do they do it all day? So yeah, they can actually do any of those. So we want it to really feel like use it when it works for you, Uh right? If you have a part, if you have issues with insomnia, your biggest thing is falling asleep and staying asleep, Mm -hmm. then wear it for an hour before you go to bed, right? If you have social avoidance, maybe you want to wear it in the morning to get all jazzed up. Maybe you get really stressed out in conference calls, wear it during your conference calls. And it just looks like a snazzy little earbud. Well, that is the point. Like we have designed it so that you can wear it around and nobody's going to go, what's that? What right? the hell? Yeah. And yeah, if yeah, they yeah. do, you can just be like, oh, it's the Phoenix. Don't worry about it. But <laughs> but it doesn't look like what's that in terms of, you know, you're wearing a medical device. It looks yes. like maybe a cool earbud, right? So, you know, we've had so far in our tests with patients and I will have to admit right now, it's not an earbud form. We're still in a prototype. So okay. it's in a fanny pack with the ear attachment. (laughs) Um, So most of the people using it are just using it at home in the morning and evening, Uh but they, but they've said, you know, I really want to wear this to the grocery store because I had issues going to the grocery store or, 
I felt a panic attack coming on. So I decided to put it on and I think it really helped with that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we're definitely, people are wanting it, it in the earbud form so they can wear it out more often. Yeah. When can I get it? So what's your timeline? <laughs> <laughs> and is this like something that has to be prescribed by a doctor? It does have to be prescribed. Um, it will not be available for at least another year because mm -hmm. we, right now we have the prototype and we're doing a pilot. Yep. And we're actively looking for investors to finish getting it into the earbud form factor and then doing an FDA clinical trial. So if anybody's listening and they have PTSD and they're interested in the product, you can certainly contact us to join our patient advisory board. You'll help us in the product development. And then you will be contacted when we do studies to see if you would be, I mean, you have to be screened by the clinical people, right? I can't yeah. guarantee you a spot, but we can put you on the contact list for sure. Yes. Oh my gosh, this is so important, especially if one in nine women are experiencing PTSD and, you know, and we talk a lot about birth control as like having so many symptoms, but like, mm -hmm. there's no other solution to contraception except hormones. So I'm really excited about potentially all the women out there that, you know, uh, Prozac decreases their libido or Zoloft makes them overweight or, you know, whatever their, their side effects are that there finally could be this alternative to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's one of the best, you know, I have a lot of people asking me, what are the clinical effects? Well, yeah, we're testing pretty well clinically right? We're helping, <laughs> we're helping people reduce their symptoms. Yeah. But even more importantly to me, the fact that you can have something that fits into your daily life and there are no side effects that you see with these other things. I shouldn't ever say no side effects, no yeah, significant yeah. adverse side effects. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that's great because some of the current options, you know, you don't even know what you're, what kind of role of the dice you're, you're doing with these drugs. And, mm -hmm. and I think with every, um, drug that you might be taking for PTSD, you have to find the balance. Sometimes you have to try mm -hmm. multiple drugs to see which one works for you. Mm -hmm. It's quite, a, it can be quite a process. Yeah. My experience with PTSD is that it's like a buffet of things I have to do uh, sometimes on a daily basis. Right. But it's like, yeah. not just one thing fixes it. And there's like all these different ways to address it. And so this is, this is an awesome one because a lot of them require me to like sit in a quiet room with music for 30 minutes. And I'm like, I'm a CEO and a podcast host. Like I don't have time to like sit no here time and journal and, you know, so I'm really looking forward to like, if uh, in the future, if people see me podcasting with the earbud on y'all will know that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. They're, I'm, they're not a sponsor. I'm just a patient. <laughs> So awesome. And, you know, what about the future of Evren? Do you have like ideas for making other wearables or is this the thing that you're like, this is what we're focused on? Well, you know, we really want to be a company focused on PTSD. There is no company out there whose sole purpose is to help those with PTSD from sort of a out. medical device like, clinical Ooh. standpoint. Oh my God. Yes. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I think, you know, we're looking at layering on other things that help with that population. So we're actually, before the earbud comes out, hopefully in the first quarter of 2021, we'll be launching a PTSD symptom tracking app. <gasps> so I know a lot of people oh. when they're first diagnosed, they're told to start tracking their symptoms, get a baseline, and then yeah. they can start tracking them to see how they're doing. Yeah. And there isn't anything like that out there right now. So we're going to be providing that. 
then from there, we're going to, if you want to share this with your clinician, your clinician can be viewing how you're doing or send you specific assessments and you can track those. Um, and then we'll launch the medical device. So, so we got a whole sort of support system that we're building around this. And then from there, we're looking at, well, can we deal with acute stress? So in that first month or two after a trauma, they think that if you treat stress early on, treat the trauma, you can reduce those that develop PTSD. Yes. So can we can we help people not even get it? Yes. And um, can we go into adjacent symptoms? So like we know we're helping with insomnia. Can we just be a sleep aid? Can we just help with anxiety or stress? Probably. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, but those are all the things that look we see in our future. Oh my gosh, I love it. I remember we talked about your symptom tracking app because, and one of the things that really excited me was I said, are you gonna have like options of symptoms for people to pick from? Because I know for me, there was things that I've literally just lived with my whole life. And it wasn't until I really dug into the PTSD treatment that they were like, oh, that's a symptom. And I was like, what? Like, I thought that was just yeah. like who I was. And, uh, you know, and now I don't have these certain things, but it was like really revealing to me wow, all of this is trauma. I thought tra- like the, the PTSD symptom was just crying a lot, but like, turns out it was like all these other things, you know, that I had no idea. Yeah. And it's, it's very unique to each person, right? We don't, there is an app out there from the VA that you can walk through formal assessments where you have to answer every question. And we want people to say, okay, these are my top five symptoms that I generally have. And so that's what's going to pop up on the front screen. Mm -hmm. And if something else comes along, I can look that up and stick that in. But it's going to be very designed for you to make unique to what we're not here to gather data in a clinical process and rank you on the CAPS 5. We want to give you a tool that helps you track in a way that's comfortable for you. I keep comparing, and I know my entire development team is super uncomfortable about it, but I'll give you a plug for a fertility tracking app. Yeah. It's called Clue. Yeah, yeah. And some people track it for fertility. Some people just want to know when their period is coming up, you know, whatever it is. I love the app. I can put in exactly which symptoms are the ones I care about and I track it when I want to. It's not bugging me and popping up, like plug it in now. So I keep sending this like room full of men onto the Clue app. (laughs) Oh my gosh, that is awesome because we actually just interviewed Ida Tin, the CEO founder of Clue. We just interviewed her. So I haven't actually met her, I need an intro. (laughs) I I love that because I feel like a lot of, um, you know, things right now are just like, take this survey and find out if you're totally screwed. And I'm like, cool, (laughs) thanks for confirming it. You know, like now what? No, I do. I like the ones that tell me which friend's character I am. I love to know what kind of dog I am. I there love you go. That. I usually am a pit bull, like really tough, but actually super sweet. <laughs> kind of intimidating, but actually just wants to cuddle. You're like, yeah. I like it. <laughs> well, this has been seriously so much fun. This is such an important topic. I'm obviously very personally driven by this. Um, I, I know it affects women disproportionately. The things that cause PTSD disproportionately affect women. Um, so I am just, I'm a, I'm, however, I can help you succeed uh, so I can get an earbud. I would love to do that. <laughs> uh, and, and I know a lot of our listeners probably, I mean, you know, one out of nine, 10% of them probably, you know, 
feel this. So I want to ask you two last questions that our listeners love. The first one is if somebody wanted to start a femtech company, because we have a lot of aspiring femtech founders that listen, um, what's an area in women's health and wellness that you think still needs innovating? Hmm. An area that still needs innovating. You know, I don't know so much about what still needs innovation, but I know that, and this is an area I could get on a major soapbox around this. You know that company Roman, where the guys can go to call, they're uncomfortable calling their doctor about trying to get their little blue pill. Yeah. Um, who cares? Because women... <laughs> Women have been so scared for so long to go to the doctor about any issues they have. I worked in women's health a while back for J&J, and they're petrified. They don't understand hysterectomies. They don't understand what's wrong with their system. They don't know what the options are. And who cares if men need a little blue pill? Like, we're talking about life or death situations here, you know? You could, your ability to bear children. This is more important than your enjoyment of sex, right? So how come... Uh, something like Roman is getting funded, but nothing has been funded for women to discuss these things in a way that's self, uh, that's yes. safe and feels like it's anonymous for them to get that information. That makes me mad. 100%. I love it. So it's not necessarily innovation. It's just, come on, people. <laughs> yep. Women have been, you know, just you know, well, you've been dealing with it this long, you know, kind of a thing. And I mean, I'm a pretty, pretty big feminist. I mean, the people who are uh, watching the recording of this, I got my pink hair dye in, you know, I'm like (laughs) super, super feminist. I got uteruses on my table here and um, (laughs) 3D printed ones, y'all, not real, but like it. um, Nevertheless, like I went to the grocery store the other day and I was like, I needed to buy condoms and I, even I was a little uncomfortable and then turns out they were behind a locked glass door and you would have to ask somebody to open it. And I was like, what the hell is this? Like what? I'm like really out there. I do sexual wellness episodes all the time. Like our audience knows I'm getting it, but like, I can't, I felt so uncomfortable asking somebody to like unlock this glass case. And I was like, Oh, well, why that's why they're locked up, so right? Hard. Because so many people just steal them instead of paying because they're too embarrassed. Yes, yes, <laughs> that's why it's behind there because people are stealing it because they're so uncomfortable buying it, and it's yeah. like, oh my god! So I love that. Let's reduce shame, right, and yeah. increase accessibility. Oh, I love that. I love it. I love it. Our last, like question. the way you summarized it. <laughs> Our last question is, what does the femtech industry as a whole need the most right now in order to be successful? Funding. I mean, so, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I live in the world of entrepreneurs. I I used to, there's a great program actually in Gainesville called EWITS. It's Empowering Women in Technology Startups. Uh, And I was a mentor and we looked a lot at stats on, on how women raise and, um, we're very hard on each other just as much as the men are on us. Mm-hmm. And, and funding is very hard for women. And, you know, there are starting to be some angel and VCs that are investing in women-led companies. I have found a lot of times they're still not comfortable in the medical device area. That's what I found too. Yeah. And so, so it's still hard to find ones that are willing to invest in medical device. They have their own sort of special rules and timeline and you have to understand it. So I have wasted a lot of time talking to people who are very interested and then realize they have to deal with the FDA and they get very freaked out. Yep. So I would say that's a major need. Absolutely. So 
and you know, I'm very bullish that femtech should be founded by both genders. I am very happy to report that like 80% of our founders are women, right? Solving their own problems. Uh, but the men have issues raising too, because it's so crazy to think that a man would care about women's endometriosis. And so, you know, that their barrier to getting funding is people not believing like why they would do this right. or why they're going to leave which it. is exactly why we have a roman out there <laughs> yes. and not something for women yep yep <laughs> uh rebecca or something right something else right. out there but you know uh i it's an interesting point you bring up because i've recently noticed it i'm you know fundraising for our venture fund and i'm you know talking to a lot of high net worth individuals and there are you know a lot of women that want to invest in women and so this like piques their interest because they're like oh women's health that sounds great and then yeah. I'm like here's this like diagnostic tool for breast cancer and they're like oh like I don't oh I'm like more I like more like retail or hospitality yeah. and I'm like come on ladies ladies yeah. in STEM I think we had this big push for women to get into STEM now we need to get those women to come now into investing you know right People yeah. are still, as much as they want to support it, they're still more comfortable with a woman having a company that fits into the traditional yeah. sort of mom-wife role. Yeah. We're selling cookies or yeah. we're yeah. helping in education or something like that, which is great. We should be in every industry, every, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> but it is it is a little bit more difficult, I think, in medical device biotech. Yeah, totally. Well, Blythe, I could literally talk to you all day. I'm probably going to like call you later and talk to you more sure about thing. my symptoms <laughs> and how can I get an earbud and all this stuff. Cause this is, this is really, really important stuff. So thank you so much for your time today. Yeah. Thanks for having us. And you know, for everybody listening, riseaboveptsd.com. Riseaboveptsd.com. Got it. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to my interview with Blythe Caro, the CEO and co-founder of Everin Technologies. I really appreciate that you let me be vulnerable and authentic while hosting this podcast. I remember when I started the show last year and thought about how hard it would be to keep my personal trials as a woman to myself and not share it on record. But my mentor, Sahar, she told me that polished is privileged. She encouraged me to forget the lipstick and perfect outfits and the perfect outsides and show people that I record the episodes in my yoga pants and that I have period problems too. So here I am, the real Brit, even if it's a little nerve-wracking at times. If you are interested in learning more about Everin Technologies, visit their website at everinvns.com. You can also attend our listening party on the evening of January 25th, where the community will be listening to this episode together. In fact, we have lots of great episodes coming up and events as well. These include Femtech Fundamentals, which is a webinar on fundraising that I'm doing today. Uh, this is Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. We also have a listening party on Monday with Rupan Gill from World Health Organization on Worldwide Abortion. We also have the Women of Wearables Health 2.0 conference coming up. So there is a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot going on. To get all the details on these events and more, visit our website, femtechfocus.org. 
While you're there, you can subscribe to our newsletter, follow our social, and join our virtual community. And until next time, keep innovating, because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.